Hey, finance folk! This is Leidas Polobinskas, back from a one-episode hiatus. We are going to talk about money laundering today. Ka-ching! Money laundering and countering the financing of terrorism go hand-in-hand, hand, but for brevity's sake, we are going to refer to this policy area as simply anti-money laundering, or if we forget ourselves, as AML. People usually talk about drug lords, the mafia, and illegal arms dealers when they think about money laundering. Me? I think about Russia and the dirty money they use to buy influence to corrupt our systems and to try to destroy us from within. In any case, money laundering poses a clear and present danger. A threat to our citizens, our democratic institutions, and our financial system. The EU's anti-money laundering rules are some of the toughest in the world, but it doesn't look like we're resting on our laurels. I asked Alexandra Jour-Schröder, the Deputy Director General of what I call the EU's Ministry of Finance, to join me and walk me through what's new in EU anti-money laundering policy. Let's see what's in the wash. Hi, Alexandra. Welcome to the podcast. I think it's safe to say that uh, the EU has a reputation for having some of the most stringent anti-money laundering rules in the world, but the Commission adopted a new package to strengthen our anti-money laundering rules in July a year ago. Why the need to change the rules, and where are we with getting it adopted and getting it in force? First of all, thank you for the opportunity to speak about what we do in the EU. Uh, to fight uh, money laundering and also the, the financing of terrorism. Uh, you said it rightly, uh, we have done quite a lot over the recent years, but the truth is also that we haven't done sufficiently for the time being. Let me maybe give you a figure. We are still today faced with, with rather big money laundering cases where criminals put uh, money they have uh, got through drug trafficking, human trafficking, tax offenses, other financial crime. And this is about possibly 1 billion uh, euro per year. Of course, very difficult to give an exact figure because there's a lot of illicit activity. But all in all, I think this figure of 1 uh, billion euro, which is huge, is, is reliable. So we cannot simply close our eyes and uh, say everything is fine. We have done something. and. Uh, it uh, should stay like this. This is uh, why we have, uh, uh, as you said, put forward a package, a legislative package of a number of uh, proposals. But perhaps uh, before I get a bit more in the details, uh, what uh, have we in mind to change uh, our rules? Um, let me give you still uh, three or four issues which we need to address. The first I already said, we still have too many activities, uh, large money laundering cases in, in the member states. The second uh, issue is that the member states doing their job, but they do it often still in a very different way. That comes from the fact that so far we have worked on EU directives. That means that we set a great object, uh, the big objective. And in the end, the member states have a lot of flexibility how they reach this objective. And there you can see quite a number of differences. And this is something we, we need to address because, you know, criminals are also looking for the weakest link in the chain. Uh, my second, uh, my third point is already my third point is that 
Um, we are also, our world is changing by the day. We have now more and more crypto assets uh, on the market, um, uh, which pose a certain risk. We have better means to identify persons. You don't go to the bank uh, per se. If you want to open an account, you can do a lot of things online. So how should the bank uh, make sure that they know that uh, you are the one who is asking to open a bank account? So also more digitalization. And this is a couple of things uh, we need to address. Um, but uh, let me come perhaps uh, to uh, this new package we have uh, put on the table. It's now more or less a year ago. That should allow us to close the existing gaps. And also, I would say, change a bit the gear to make things uh, more stringent and stronger. Um, it's possibly a package of 300 pages, so <laughs> a nice reading. And of course, this is more for experts, uh, for legal and AML experts. Uh, so maybe to, to try to put this in a few sentences, what, what, is, what is in. Um, the first thing uh, we want to do is that we want to place a supervision uh, of uh, the activities that are happening by those who have to uh, observe whether somebody is trying to put money uh, illicitly in the system uh, is, uh, is done in a good way in the member states or whether we should not look for something that is more European. This is the idea of creating a completely brand new EU agency that would be in charge of uh, anti-money laundering policies. A big step. The second uh, point uh, we want to address is that we want to overcome this issue that we have 27 different regulations in the member states. Uh, and how do we do that? Our idea would be that we use the approach we have already used in financial markets, which is a single rule book. So we would say all the rules, we do the rules here in Brussels, we agree on them. We have a regulation and these rules will work across all the member states and they are harmonized and unified in whatever member state uh, things, are, things are happening. And then, of course, we have a couple of other, I would say, construction sites. Um, and let me just maybe give you two examples. Uh, one is uh, the inclusion of the non-financial sector. Our rules are quite okay when it comes to the way that banks, how banks have to control uh, the channeling of money into the system. What happens uh, on the other side if you go to a casino, if you use crypto assets, if you go to your tax advisor, if you buy land and you go to notaries? Uh, those have very, very divergent rules uh, how to control the system. So this is also something we need to work on. And maybe last but not least, there are special um, authorities in the member states. We call them financial intelligence units. Mm -hmm. They are something, uh, they're not uh, law enforcement authorities, uh, although sometimes uh, it's the police who is doing the work. They are analyzing um, reports they get from banks, from other uh, authorities who have suspicions, and they uh, have to see whether this is maybe simply uh, a bit of unusual behavior for good reasons, or whether there is really crime involved in certain transactions and whether the case should go to the prosecutor for further steps. So that was in two minutes what we have in 300 uh, pages.
but I think this uh, captures a little bit the highlights uh, of our package. Oh sure, absolutely. I think I, I think I think it certainly does. Um, uh, as I've mentioned to our audience, the the idea is I'm not an expert on any of this stuff, and I truly understood what what uh, what you said. So that means somebody who's not an expert can definitely understand it. So thanks for that. Um, okay, yeah. So it, it it sounds like it makes total sense that instead of having 27 rules, um, you're going to have one European rule. Um, uh, that especially with our economies and our finances becoming eh, computerized, not necessarily, I mean, crypto obviously we'll probably get into a little bit more later, but um, it, it seems to make sense that there would be one sort of body overlooking these things and, you know, and, and seeing whether things are, are functioning, whether anybody's doing some, some naughty things behind the scenes and that, 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 that needs to be brought to light. Um, you mentioned the anti-money laundering authority, a new authority that the EU um, and the member states obviously would establish. Also, sounds good, but what exactly is it going to do? Is it gonna be like a new police force? Is there gonna be people running around uh, with European police uh, AML, with big AML on the back, like the FBI in the United States? Or what's it gonna look like? What is it gonna do? Very good question, uh, because what we have in mind, what this uh, AML authority, and actually we call it AMLA, to make things shorter, uh, should do. And uh, first of all, I think it is important to make uh, very clear that this AMLA will not be a police or a law enforcement agency. Uh, this authority should uh, work to prevent anti-money laundering. So it's not to go after the criminals, but to close loopholes criminals may use uh, to launder money. So we are even a step further in the process. And of course, this is not very new because already today uh, in the member states, there are uh, quite a number of uh, supervisory authorities who will have to check what the credit institutions are doing, what other financial institutions are doing. And I was also mentioning the non-financial sector. So there is a wide variety of uh, supervisory authorities who check in the end to those who have the obligation to um, prevent and to monitor that not illicit money gets into the regular economy are doing this in a, in a correct way. Um, but uh, what we have seen is indeed that the quality sometimes of this supervision, but also the way uh, how you do it in an effective way is not as it should. And that has very different reasons. Uh, first of all, not every member state may consider that uh, fighting money laundering is such a high priority. Uh, many other things you have to follow, whether your banks have sufficient capital, um, whether the sanctions we have now imposed are correctly implemented. So sometimes uh, it is maybe seen as important, but not as a top priority. The second uh, point is uh, you need people, you need resources and money to do this correctly. And there, again, we consider if we will have one uh, authority um, with a very, let's say, well-educated and determined staff, this will turn the page. Uh, but of course, uh, uh, also to be very clear, this AMLA will not be able to 100% uh, copy what is now happening in 27 member states. So. To be very simple, we had to do a selection. What do we consider as uh, one of the EU legislators uh, are the most pressing topics uh, where we would need a better and a European horizontal and holistic approach? 
and we have looked a little bit what we have already now. And some will know that uh, once we had the financial crisis and uh, we had also a lot of banks that were much undercapitalized, uh, we decided in the European Union to create a European supervisor for banks uh, in the ECB, which is a single supervisory mechanism that is looking at the really big banks to check uh, if they um, are sufficiently capitalized and will not, will not go bankrupt in the end. And this is a bit the idea we want to pursue with the AMLA. We want to give uh, this new authority uh, the direct supervision uh, on a number of uh, credit or other financial institutions that are really the big ones. And they are those who are operating cross-border. So it's not the local bank at the corner where you go and open a bank account, but it's a really big, uh, big institutions uh, that uh, also present a certain high risk that uh, criminals may use these banks to, to launder money. Um, so first, uh, we had to see how we define those entities that in the end uh, will come under the supervision of AMLA. And I can also say there are lots of ideas on the table now as we are in the negotiations with the member states and the parliament. And we have all a bit, we all are aligned that we need this authority. But the way how we define uh, the task is, is still uh, a subject of discussion. And, and rightly so, because it's an, it's an important point. What we have in mind is mainly to uh, just give you a very concrete example to say, okay, we, this bank or this institution should at least be established in a couple of member states, not, so not purely in national case. And maybe it should also have already had an investigation in one member states where it was seen that uh, there could be some, some room of uh, improvement. But this is uh, an idea, it's on the table, and uh, we, will, we will have to, to move uh, to, to, to find, in the end, a good consensus. So this is, um, this is more or less uh, it for the AMLA. So uh, uh, direct supervision, that means the AMLA can ask for all the papers uh, of the banks. Uh, they can have on-site visits. And they can also, but they will do it with the national authorities. As always with the question, if an EU authority can go to a, to a member state, but uh, in, in the SSM example, I, I told you, we have made very, very good experience with that. Um, maybe two or three other responsibilities uh, we want to give the AMLA. Um, I said it already, non-financial supervision is a new pressing issue. We don't uh, want to give the AMLA the full supervisory powers for this because there is a lot of knowledge in the member states. What we want to do is that the AMLA brings together the national uh, supervisory authorities uh, with a simple idea that they can present their cases, um, useful cases, maybe what did not go so well, so uh, a sort of uh, best practices and peer review approach uh, as we really need to understand better. And as our rules for the financial sector get tougher and tougher, we also have to make sure that the criminals are not going to the non-financial sector, which may stay uh, maybe not completely, but to a large extent uh, underregulated. And last but not least, I was talking about financial intelligence units these so-called gatekeepers who have to check uh, 
the information they get from the financial authorities. Um, and here again, we feel that the FIU is doing good work, but they could do more in speaking to each other. It's not that they are living in splendid isolation. Of course, they are regular uh, gatherings also at EU and even at international level. But having somebody who takes his coordination in the hands uh, to also maybe foster joint analysis of big cases would be really a, a useful step forward. And this is also what the AMLA should do. Well, yeah, that sounds reasonable. The, the, the EU is doing what it does best, which is um, helping the, the, the member states and member state authorities uh, do their jobs and also at the same time provide for what you said, harmonization of making rules very clear and uh, that, that apply throughout the, the European Union. That way, everybody knows what page they're on. Everybody knows what the rules are. Makes, makes makes sense to me. You mentioned earlier crypto, um, which which um, I think a lot of people find absolutely fascinating. Um, the thing is, is that recently in the news, um, I read uh, that uh, Russia has decided that they're going to legalize crypto payments, uh, inter international crypto payments, not inside, but just international payments. And the commentators were saying that that's uh, essentially a way for them to get around sanctions. And it, it sounded an awful lot like money laundering to me. Um, that's just a side note, but um, it, it, it does sort of lead into my next question, which is about cryptocurrencies and anti-money laundering. What are the risks? What evidence is out there to 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 show that you know the, the the crypto boys are are a danger to the financial system? Are they? Are they not? Yeah, that's uh, not so easy to say. Mm -hmm. um, I think first of all, cryptos is a really new type of value transfer. A few years ago, it was something maybe very exotic, and now it becomes more and more interesting. Um, and of course, it can be used in a completely legal way. Um, so it's not per se illegal to have crypto assets and to go on crypto asset marketplaces. But of course, it can be because it's still so new. Um, criminals may be tempted to use it because it's certainly true that it's not very clearly regulated for the time being. You know. Something starts, something develops. It may be a success, it may disappear, but we are always a bit behind as a regulator to put the right uh, system in place. But we are really uh, working on this uh, with uh, quite a, a lot of uh, speed. Uh, I mean, first of all, maybe interesting, how big is the problem? Is this really a, an issue? I would say yes. Um, and we have a quite interesting uh, report from Europol. You know, this is a European mm -hmm. police uh, office that is also coordinating the work of the national police authorities. That is quite uh, new, was released in January this year uh, about uh, cryptocurrencies uh, and tracing their evolution. Uh, where Europol comes to the conclusion that uh, the use of cryptocurrencies is indeed increasing. There is more uptake by criminals but uh, not really seen as a, a very big problem. So mm -hmm. it's maybe something that is developing, but uh, still representing a limited share uh, of the criminal economic economy, when, especially when, it, when we compare it uh, to cash, but also other forms of uh, financial transaction. Um, but nevertheless, um, 
we feel we have to be vigilant and cannot simply uh, observe um, and do nothing. And, you know, um, in the way crypto assets are used is normally done in a decentralized way via the blockchain. Uh, because the ad complete idea was that we don't want intermediaries anymore, we don't want banks, we can settle this uh, among uh, those who have to transfer uh, have to transfer assets. There is this concern uh, that it uh, often comes with a high level of um, not knowing who is your counterpart and the difficulty to, to follow the chain of the money. Uh, and therefore, uh, we have been thinking, what can we do at uh, European level? And maybe uh, two or three points uh, where we are working on. First is that, and I said it uh, when we were talking about the package, uh, we are always putting uh, a lot of responsibility on, the, let's say, the classical financial institutions, the banks, to monitor uh, who is the person who is having a bank account, who is, what is the identity of the person. All these obligations are not uh, so far uh, um, applicable to crypto asset providers. So first, we consider that we have to create a level playing field, but also to uh, close these gaps and include crypto uh, asset service providers in the list of those who have to fulfill all these monitoring identification obligations we have already since many years in the classical financial sector. Um, then there is also the idea, but this is still under discussion, that maybe the AMLA uh, we were just talking about should also play its role, maybe supervise them, but that is to be seen, but at least give some guidance because this is such a quickly developing sector. So having some uh, analysis from the AMLA uh, about uh, patents where people use crypto assets would certainly be useful. And maybe uh, my last point uh, is about uh, the transfer of crypto assets. Um, where today there is not much identification who is uh, sending the crypto assets uh, to another person, especially uh, when it's done. And now there is no intermediary in it who can, in the end, uh, trace who has been the one who has uh, transferred and who has been the beneficiary. We have already addressed this now in a very specific piece of legislation that normally uh, applies to wire funds. Mm -hmm. If you transfer, let's say, money to another country, uh, it's now done often, in, 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 especially for development countries, uh, that we could use this already very well established system we have in the EU and use the same rules uh, for the identification of the person who is sending and the person who is receiving this wire transfer also for crypto assets, because we consider the situation is uh, basically the same. Uh, and already uh, in June now, um, the co-legislator, the council member states and the European Parliament found a, what I would say a good agreement that these crypto assets will have to undergo more or less the same rules as we have for wire transfer in the European Union. So uh, I think it's a good start. Uh, we, will, we will, of course, uh, need to observe this further. Nobody wants to abolish cryptocurrencies, just to be very clear. 
but we need to address uh, the money laundering risks that are associated with their use. Mm -hmm. Understood. Um, you mentioned you mentioned um, uh, other countries, uh, which actually brings me to my next question. Um, Anti-money laundering is uh, or anti-money uh, anti laundering policy is is clearly uh, international because, um, you know, we might have good rules in Europe, but we but money flows across uh, across not only internal EU borders, but of course, across international EU borders. So um, that means we have to partner with other jurisdictions like the United States of America and the UK. Um, can you tell us any success, recent successes uh, in, in that cooperation so that financial criminals aren't, you know, uh, finding ways to, uh, to, to exploit the international borders? You're absolutely right. Uh, money laundering is not just uh, an offense that happens in the EU or in other jurisdictions, but there is often uh, cases that uh, include several jurisdictions in one case. And this is exactly, and you know, within modern uh, ways uh, of uh, digitalized banking services, the money can float in a few seconds from the EU to the US uh, or to, to other countries. And of course, uh, this is also clear uh, an issue that is seen in the everyday practice of the law enforcement uh, authorities. So indeed, absolutely crucial that we are not doing this in splendid isolation, but that we try to have a good cooperation uh, with, uh, with our partners we are working with uh, with many uh, jurisdictions uh, around the globe, but indeed uh, the United States is a very important partner, very good and sophisticated system uh, to uh, trace uh, money laundering. Um, we are meeting them uh, on a regular basis. Uh, there is a there is an, what we call the EU US Joint Financial Regulatory Forum. This is a forum for regulators and policymakers, uh, and the, we are doing it from the Commission side and the Treasury and all these uh, agencies specialized uh, in, in other topics, including money laundering, are involved, exchanging cases. We're also speaking about concrete cases, but also about the general opportunities, challenges. For example, as we just discussed, crypto assets, certainly uh, an, an issue. Uh, that is regularly on, on our agenda. So um, a very good and fruitful cooperation. Uh, yeah, with the UK, there is also um, a cooperation um, after they have left the European Union. There is a trade and cooperation agreement uh, in which we have agreed that we continue cooperating uh, to fight money laundering, financing of terrorism. Uh, and especially there's one point I would maybe like to mention in this context. This is about what we call beneficial ownership transparency. Mm -hmm. um, and this is about shell companies. This is mainly uh, that often criminals are not using their normal names, uh, but they are setting up companies and they're setting up a conglomerate of many, many companies to make it really difficult. And then uh, with, through these uh, companies, uh, the money is somehow laundered. We had it a few years ago in the Panama Papers. And there, of course, it is always difficult to find who is the real person behind these constructs. Mm -hmm. This is a beneficial ownership. And there we have a, a very good uh, cooperation uh, with the United Kingdom, but also with others. But 
as at least uh, this is certainly something we uh, we continue to work on so again um, we try to to exchange uh, views and to uh, understand from each other what are the modern trends uh, have we missed something what are their experience uh, and as you said it it's absolutely vital that we do this with other jurisdictions you mentioned um, other countries and that actually this this brings me to my most likely last question I understand that there's a multilateral organization where anti-money laundering authorities gather to adopt common principles, like this is an entire global global organization. And they also list countries. They, they, they list countries that um, are either um, recognized as having serious difficulties with uh, anti-money laundering policies, um, and so that people would know, and, and other jurisdictions would know that there's that, you know, basically it's a red flag, I guess. Um, it's it's called uh, the the Financial Action Task Force, and uh, we know it with the unfortunate acronym of FATFA. Um, but uh, it, clearly, it's it, it's an important thing. Um, what has it achieved over the last few years, and how do we? How does the Commission contribute to its work? Indeed, these acronyms in the financial <laughs> world we call it FITF, and in, 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 indeed, it's a Financial Action Task Force. Uh, actually uh, created more than 30 years ago already in 1989. Uh, if I remember well, uh, it was at the G7 summit in France at that time, uh, because it was seen that uh, what we just discussed, that we need to join forces at international level uh, to fight uh, international financial crime. Uh, and it started quite modestly. Uh, first, it was mainly about um, money that was acquired from uh, narcotic uh, offenses, drug trafficking, but it has very much uh, developed uh, over the year, including now also uh, the financing of uh, terrorism, uh, but also uh, all the phenomena we have uh, just discussed uh, when it comes to uh, the search for the beneficial owner, uh, but also new finds, uh, new possibilities of uh, um, of uh, value transfer as, as, as a crypto assets. So far, if I have counted correctly, there are more than 35 countries now in FITF. And there's also the European Commission, although we are not uh, a full jurisdiction. Uh, but I have to say, uh, we play a quite uh, engaged and active role. And uh, we have recently had quite a number of success stories. And again, maybe let me give you an example. This is exactly about this beneficial ownership. Mm -hmm. uh, that sounds, at least for me, quite convincing that you, uh, we need to do this at uh, international level. But there have been in the past uh, some resistances because it was seen as uh, maybe uh, too much related to tax authorities. And you know, tax is always very sensitive if you speak about this at international level. Um, but uh, now we see that the FITF has taken up uh, very much our European approach, which is uh, quite stringent. Uh, and it would uh, be a, a really nice success because what the FITF is doing, the FITF is, uh, is not uh, a body that legislates for the whole world. It is an international standard center. Mm -hmm. But they do this standard and normally the member countries 
have um, made uh, the commitment to implement them. So if uh, something is done at that level, you can be pretty sure that in the end it will also show effect uh, on a worldwide uh, scale. You mentioned uh, one um, activity the FITF is doing, and that is perhaps a bit more prominent than the many other things they do. This is about this famous listing of countries. Mm -hmm. and, and what is behind? Uh, behind is that the FITF has put in its uh, mission letter, so to say, that um, countries that are not uh, adhering to the money laundering standards present a risk for the whole system. Mm -hmm. And this is, there is a logic in it. Uh, as uh, I tried to explain, if criminals find a loophole, you go to country X because there is no control. We can have a very nice system. And as it is very global today, uh, there is an interest that, uh, that we work on, on this one. And, and this listing mainly means that these countries uh, should um, remedy the issues that have been uh, identified. There is a there's often a very, let's say, very enlarged uh, country teams that have experts in all uh, the issues uh, that uh, are relevant in, uh, to fight uh, money laundering, uh, and that these countries commit in a certain time frame to remedy these uh, identified uh, uh, difficulties or loopholes. Uh, and all, actually, it works quite well, I have to say. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, we are also, as a commission, often involved in these uh, joint uh, in investigative uh, teams that are checking uh, this uh, legislation. So all in all, um, the FITF is a very uh, useful body, also allowing us, uh, coming back uh, to your question about how we do this uh, at a global level, that we can exchange uh, views. And um, yeah, we also have a lot of personal contacts, which is always very useful. Well, that's, a, a, I think, a very optimistic and, and well, not optimistic, a positive note to, to, to end our conversation on. Alexandra, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your very busy day to talk to me about anti-money laundering and the countering of financing of terrorism. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, here's my takeaway. The complex issue of tackling dirty money flows is not new. The fight against money laundering and terrorist financing is vital for financial stability and security in Europe. It is also of fundamental importance to protecting against attacks on our democracy, our values, and our institutions. The good thing about the new rules Alexandra spoke to me about is that when they are implemented, they are going to raise our level of trust in more consistent, robust EU rules that tackle money laundering and terrorist financing across the 27 members. The rules provide for stronger action against criminal activity because it'll be no longer possible to exploit diverging national approaches or avoid detection of illicit flows of money. Every new money laundering scandal is one scandal too many. The EU has clearly made huge strides in recent years and the EU anti-money laundering rules are now considered some of the toughest in the world. What I got out of the conversation with Alexandra was that we can do even better. Even better means that those rules need to be applied consistently and closely supervised to make sure they really bite. That's what's going to slam the door on money laundering and stop criminals from lining their pockets with ill-gotten gains, 
or providing money to regimes that want to attack and undermine what we have in the EU. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Do please spread the word about this podcast. Like and subscribe. Until next time. Bye.